Chapter Five of Murder at Saint Denis by Margaret Ann Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. The storm winds were so spent that they were barely able to whistle around the rim rock when Jock and the doctor, by the light of a kerosene lamp, turned off the oxygen tank and opened the respirator. The coroner made his examination of the earthly remains of the great Cassidy. The sheriff thankfully accepted his colleague's opinion that a freak of nature had been the cause of accidental death, and then they had checked, for certainty, with the power company. "'Yeah, line's down somewhere,' the night foreman's assurance had come over the wire. "'Lucky the phones aren't knocked out, too, eh?' "'No, the lights are all out on that side of the mountain, sheriff. Somebody else just called me from down in the gulch. We can't do a thing about it till daylight, but I'll get the boys out just as soon as it's bright enough to see. We've got a small airplane now, flies right over the line.' We can locate the brakes fast that way. Huh? Okay, we'll speed it up. The sheriff was more relieved than he would have cared to admit. Range battles over grazing rights, hot-headed shootings with plenty of witnesses, these had been his career. He was tall and gaunt, with hooked nose and tight mouth, and he had been sheriff for more years than most people remembered. Too old, they said, to have run for office again, but he had gone in as usual on a landslide vote. In the hospital waiting room he sat writing carefully at a table where a kerosene lamp burned. Like the others, Marmion watched the movement of the pencil up to the sheriff's tongue, down to the notebook, to write blacker, for a few words before fading into grey. He was putting down all the facts that had told him so precisely, adding them up into the sum total of the historic period his own life had spanned. The sheriff did not look up until King and Doc appeared in the open arch of the waiting room. The entrance stairs were a dark well behind the two white figures. All the silent people turned to look with the sheriff, although there would be nothing new to hear. Sister Magdalene and Sister Ursula were deliberately composed, Lynn interested as she would be in a critical operation, Dixie still frowning away her headache, and Marmion benumbed. "'Done, boys?' the sheriff asked. King nodded. Everyone moved, relaxing. This was the conclusion of all the horror they had endured. But Marmion leaned forward, her face dark, her eyes nearly black in the lamplight. "'I'm to blame, Sheriff. I lost my head completely. If I'd only been calm, run to get someone instead of groping around like that in the dark.' Before the Sheriff could protest, Lim replied with the first agitation she had shown. "'I know how you feel, Marmion, but if it's anyone's fault, it's mine. I shouldn't have left you with him. I should have waited until Hennessy came back, and then I'd have been there when the power went off.' The sheriff turned over his notes. "'Just why did you leave, Miss Baird?' Lynn's hesitation was slight, but Marmion caught it. She won't involve Dixie, the girl thought. She's too fair to put the blame on someone else. "'I had to have Mr. Cassidy's medicine,' Lynn replied. "'I didn't think I'd be gone over two minutes. The pharmacy's just at the foot of the stairs in the basement.' "'How did you get the medicine other times?' Jock answered from the archway beside King. I brought it up, Sheriff. I knew Cassidy's nurses couldn't leave him. Then how did you happen to slip up tonight? Sister Magdalene was like a mother coming to the defense of her children. Miss Bryan had a terrible headache, Sheriff. She must be excused for any oversight, and Jock was not on duty after seven. Also, we had an emergency, a little boy with a broken leg, and then the storm was making the patients. The words trailed away as a scream cut down through the darkness, a high, piercing scream, persisting until the quiet was cut to shreds. At first it seemed only to come out of the night from neither place nor direction. 
When it gathered identity, it became a woman screaming somewhere on the second floor near the laboratories. The sheriff shot to his feet, rocking the lamp dangerously. Then he was out of the room, sprinting after the doctor, jock hippity-hopping in their wake, all running up the stairs toward the screaming that had now become a terrified sobbing. There were other sounds in a moment, tumbling down out of the dark, patients awakening to that grotesque weeping and beginning a frightened wailing of their own. Sister Magdalene gave orders hurriedly. Miss Barrett and Dixie, see if Miss Hennessy needs help down here. If she doesn't, come to the second floor and help Miss Baxter. The sisters were gone, Lynn and Dixie with them, all running to duty that came ahead of their own fears. And Marmion was left alone with hers. Suddenly she was on her feet and running like the others up the stairs. She stumbled on a step and skinned her knee. But nothing stopped her, not the dark lying everywhere between fitful pools of lamp and candlelight, not the fact that every step carried her nearer to the spot where someone still sobbed and moaned. They were over at the stairwell of the crow's nest, a group of excited people, and the object of their excitement apparently lay at the foot of the stairs. Marmion caught hold of Dixie, who was running past. What happened? Who's screaming? Eloise, poor kid, she found her. Found who? Sister Judy. Dr. Kingston was coming toward them, carrying a small nun who lay limp against him, one arm dangling like a child's. She was in her good black habit and a fresh white coif, but the coif was not so fresh as it had been. Now there was blood on it. Miss Baxter slipped past King to light the way down the stairs, and the stain on the white glowed bright red. The stair rail was etched in black for a minute, then they were gone. Eloise's crying died away. Dixie, where did... Marmion began, but Dixie also had vanished. Down the stairs there was a rustle of a habit, another reflection of light growing from below. The girl peeked over the balustrade. Sister Polycarp, of course, in pursuit of trouble. The nearest door stood open a couple of inches. Marmion pushed it wider, felt it strike an object, pushed harder, and slipped inside. Someone was there, breathing beside her, not in bed as a patient should be, but close in the very black room. A fuzzy thing brushed her elbow. Mrs. Topman? A relieved sigh came out of the pitch dark. And who else in my own room? What on earth is going on here? Who knocked out Sister Judy? Knocked her out? Oh, for goodness sake! I never thought of that. Well, somebody did, heaven knows, prowling around in the dead of night, and her going up the stairs like she belonged up there. What was she doing out of the cloister? Marmion swayed and caught herself against the door. This was the first of the dizzying dread she would know in the next few days, the foreboding she should have felt in time to turn away from the wing that was so soon to be dashed into darkness. Mrs. Topman, tell me what you mean. Nothing, but there's some kind of funny business going on here tonight, and that's no lie. I'm going to get back in bed, honey. If Baxter saw me up like this, she'd have Doc send me home tomorrow. Oh, by the way, you found Sister Peter, all right? Sister, oh, the corset, it's safe, Marmion fibbed. What had she done with the box? She had been clasping it when she went into Big Balsam's room, because she remembered how it had struck against the door jam. And then what? She must have dropped it when the lights went out. Unless someone had kicked it out of the way, Sister Peter's corset would still be lying wrapped like a sheaf of roses beside the respirator. And she would have to retrieve the package, Marmion insisted to herself, as she helped Mrs. Topman to feel her way under the covers. 
Nothing in the world was more horrible than the thought of entering that fearfully empty room again. But whoever picked up the box would open it, naturally, and then there would have to be an explanation. And dear old Sister Peter would be embarrassed to tears at a public display of her underpinning. Mrs. Totman was rambling comfortably on. Melly wants Rollo and Roscoe, but their dad says it's got to be something manly. I'm sure glad the others come one at a time, so's we could name em. You leaving, dearie? Well, maybe it's better. You sure need your rest. Marmion let herself out into the dark hall. Sister Polycarp was not in sight. She could run down now to the quiet room, ask Miss Hennessy to come with her to find the box. But she didn't. She took a candle from the box on the chart desk, lighted it, and fled up the stairs to the crow's nest. Sister Peter's discomfiture was of small account compared to her own terrors. She was only halfway up when the candle went black out. End of chapter 5